Welcome to another riveting episode of our podcast, Knife Making Down Under. We've got Mert Tansu from Tansu Knives, Corin Urquhart from Gamaco and Artisan Supplies, and myself, Kev, from Kev's Forge. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining in again. Last week, we covered a lot to do with metallurgy, different steels and different steel types, etc. Corin gave us a very informative um, view of what's going on there. Um, and we got a whole lot of good feedback from people um, who were kind of excited about the fact that for a change, uh, you know, that we were informative. And I, I went back to a couple of people and said, we're not going to make a habit of it, so don't get used to that. But uh, we would still want to keep this pretty, pretty fun and whatnot. But we didn't cover everything. We didn't cover everything from Ashley Edwards's um, questions. He's he's got a, got a couple couple more on there. So, um, like I said, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, go back and do it. Um, you might need to listen to a couple of things a couple of times because, like I said, a lot of information um, spewed out of Corin's gob. Um, but it was good, good to hear. One of the other things now that he was talking about. Uh, I'm not sure if we covered last week because days blur into each other. Um, steels that are suitable for forging and why some aren't. So I reckon uh, Mert's probably pretty well qualified to um, give us a bit of a rundown on suitability of forging of different steels. You've got brass cajones and forge damasteel and stainlesses. Well, so. I will say I'm experienced because I fucked up a lot before. So... Oh. And cohonets and brains are not always in the in the uh, sometimes in reverse correlation. So what I gathered so far is the less alloy and less carbon the steel has, easier it'll be forged. For example, 1060, 1060, 1075, they forge quite easier compared to let's say steels that contain the higher car carbon. And by the time you involve other alloying elements like chromium and things like that, they go stiffer. They even feel harder to forge. And then, if your chromium content is, let's say, in the 12th and upper, like stainless territory, the steel moves a lot slower. As in, like, if you're hitting one, the same amount of movement, you have to hit, like, two, three times compared to the, let's say, simple carbon steel. And one thing with the stainless steels, is the forging window is quite narrow compared to the carbon steels. So you only have like let's say three, four seconds to get it, get it out of the forge and do something with it. And unlike the carbon steels, if you heat them up too much, they turn into a liquid and they start crumbling. There you go. Valuable lessons learned, I'm sure. I mean, yes, you can. There are some steels I don't recommend forging, like D2. I wouldn't no, recommend forging D2. Why not? But it's an air hardening steel, okay? Yes, I know the other stuff is air hardening too, but there are steels that you can buy in a great, great variety of lengths, thicknesses, okay? If I'm making a hunting knife out of D2, there's no reason for me to forge it. I can get in a various thicknesses, lengths, and all the shapes. The reason that I was forging damaged steel was I was trying to get an integral, integral bolster out of it, okay? I had a round integral uh, bar of damaged steel, 32 mil. I was trying to isolate the bolster so I can forge a whole blade. 
to showing that I was able to forge out of it. Okay. Yes, technically I can get a round bar of D2. I can forge it out of it, but D D2 integral is not going to sell as easy as a fancy damage steel. And there's so much hard work involved, so why bother with it? Yeah. I mean, technically you can, but I wouldn't bother with it. Yeah. So, so basically, like I said, oh, okay, Kyron, you're up. Now you go. Oh, okay. I was going to say, so basically, um, with locks, if you're looking at steels to forge and considering the steels to forge, um, use the lower carbon ones. You know, if you got the balls, if you got the, if you want to have a go, try um, stainless. If you want to, you can. But like you were saying, mate, you got to remember there's a very limited window of opportunity to get it out of the forge, hit it two or three times with a hammer, and stick it back in there before things start going south. And another thing is annealing of the stainless is a lot different than the carbon. Okay. Yeah. So the the way I anneal my carbon steel is I do spheroidized annealing, like subcritical anneal. Instead of so in this method, what you do is you do your regular normalization cycles or whatever you want to do. Then you bring the steel to 1200 to 1250 Fahrenheit, okay, and keep it there for 10 to 30 minutes, okay. When you do that, the it became becomes spheroidized, so it's a lot easier to machine, a lot easier to grind. It gets soft, okay. This is I prefer this over lamellar annealing, which is the old method of bring it to cherry and chuck it in the vermiculite or ashes. Yeah. When so you're what, doing stainless, go ahead, Corin. Yeah. What temperature is that in Celsius? Sorry, I just I'm googling it as we speak. Uh, yeah, that, oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's just before the steel is glowing red, or the the steel starting to get a red in a dark shop would start to be getting a red glow to it, but just starting. Correct. Oh, hang on. Six hundred. Um. Yeah, that's I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. Six. It's six seventy. Six seventy, and at that temperature, you've you've not gone. Um, uh, above decalescence, like uh, you haven't gone into critical, so you are literally subcritical, and that's when the yep. steel's just got a light, faint glow to red to it, but we haven't got all the shadows out of it, and yeah, about that, about that temperature. Yeah, if that's that's I think the best way of annealing carbon steels, but if you want to anneal stainless steels, which is a must because when you force stainless steel, they're air hardening. The second you leave it, they get hard. Okay. So you have to anneal them, and to be able to anneal them, depending on the manufacturer's recommendations, some require sub, uh, like holding it at the 1450 for like few hours, then decreasing very slowly. So you cannot just force stainless steel and try to do uh, lamellar annealing or subcritical annealing as easy. You have to hold it for a lot longer period. So from memory, if I remember from the damage steel, you have to hold it for 1450 for a few hours, then had to go down to 1250 Fahrenheit, like in a decreasing late, lot lower rate. Like pretty much, I had, I had three blades in my kiln all day, almost all day. So it's yep. not like you don't want to be forging just one. And if you're going to do it, might as well do a few instead of letting your kiln run entire day for just one blade. I'm pretty sure even the Vitoku for the anneal section is decrease at 25 degrees C. Per hour, so you got a yeah, real slow we, decrease. We, we, talk, uh, we talk. I've been doing it with the 
spherdizing. So I have no I have no issues with with it. But if you're doing a super gold too, which is stainless, yeah, I will do that with the uh, with yeah. that rate. Yeah, so it's the follow-on to what you're doing with your forging as well, which I think some people don't take into account. You might be I able to forge, you might be able to forge a steel, all good, but yeah, you got to remember that there's more treatment to follow after that. And another thing, you mentioned crumbling of steels. I see it on Facebook all the time because I have to patrol that group and shit. We see people forge and complain that their steel crumbled, and and the the stock standard response that people go to is you forged it too cold. And I just want to, if I can, clear that up, because it can happen that if you forge steel too cold, you'll get cracks, but that's really hard to do and takes special fucking brilliance. But mostly when you get steel to crumble, it's because you went too hot and the alloy contains a lot of chromium and it, it just crumbles when you get it too hot. That's what it does, Bert. Is that correct? Yes. So It's anyone funny. I, I saw someplace... This guy was making a stainless semi. He didn't have 416. Okay. He didn't have 416. He used AEBL. Okay. So he made a carbon steel core, AEBL. And because this guy was believing the Japanese style of making it, he was saying, oh, it came out okay at the quench, but I was hammering it to, to straighten it. All of a sudden, my steel broke. <laughs> but it's okay. I shortened it. What matters is the inside, the, what's the core steel? I don't know why it cracked. Like, bro. When, you for, when you're getting the forge welding temperature, first of all, you fucked up your ABL. It's like, there's not much, there's like, you got a glorified 416 left. And second, it hardened. So you got a hard core, you got a hard outside with the harder steel. Like, what's the point of that? Not at all. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, like, look, anyway. Look, none so, at all. None, none at all, mate. Yeah, none at all. Uh, the AEBL air hardens. So when you're combining steels in Damascus or San Mai, I guess for the beginners who perhaps don't understand this, look at the heat treat regime for the steels and select steels that are compatible. If you want to do a San Mai, the whole point is to have soft sides. So having an air hardening steel on the outside and an oil quench steel on the inside, it just makes no fucking sense. Same as W1, W1 or W2 inside uh, 15 and 20 because 15 and 20 is oil quench um, W1, W2 is water quench uh, so it needs a much quicker quench so if you quench to optimally harden the core you're not going to harden the side you're going to over harden the sides so if you quench to not over harden the sides you're not going to harden the core it's pointless it's, it makes no sense there are exceptions to that Mert where you've got super fine kitchen knives and things that you, you probably do sh fun things with but that's generally what you should be looking for is that correct, or am I off the mark there? No, it, it is correct. You, you want to for semi. The whole idea is you want the outside to be soft, and it's so it's easier to grind, it's easier to straighten, and you want to avoid. You want to avoid. For for beginners, first of all, I say if you want to make semi, start with mild and carbon. Mild with 1075, mild with 1080, mild with 10, 1095. Once you get them all perfected, let's say you're very confident. Try something else with the stainless or with the few layers on top, but yeah, like 15 and 20 to 1080. No, man, it's not so much. It's a three layer. You give it three layers Damascus. <laughs> you have like four layer or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. It's a sad vibe. Speaking of it's steel, sad, it's I had a question. Vibe, but it's, yeah, well. Corin, yeah. what are the most underutilized and underrated steels 
that they don't they don't get the low attention that they should. A two. Are we A2. Said, we covered this last week. I think we asked this last week. But A two. A two to me is the most undersold steel that we have for what is a really good, easy to use, um, easy to work. Uh, stock removal steel. It's not a forging steel, stock removal steel. It's easy to heat treat. Um, for fuck's sake, you don't even need oil or water. You just use air. Um, and if you look at Goff Custom Knives, and if you go back through his knife testing videos from years ago when he first kicked off, um, he did a home heat treat on a whole bunch of different steels, and the best results he got was with A2. I thought it was going to take off. I kept it on the shelf, but it's a slow seller. So I'll call that the most underutilized steel. Uh, probably going to sell out after this episode pretty quick, so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the thing, like I said, everyone gets, it's that same thing, everyone gets wrapped up in or caught up in the next fancy steel that's coming out, or, you know, Letter of the month too, man, I think it's a letter of num- letters, Yeah, letters, numbers, blah, 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 popular person uses a steel and says it's good, then everyone jumps on the bandwagon, and like we were talking about last week, not enough people learn enough about a particular... Yeah, not enough people spend the time learning about a uh, small selection of steels greatly rather than trying to spread themselves so thin um, and, and end up knowing just a tiny bit about a whole lot of shit which is effectively worth, might as well not know anything about it. Uh, all speculation and hearsay. Uh, yeah. One of the other things that Ashley had on his question, which is probably leading into the last bit, um, which is the toughness versus um, brittleness. Well, I think I covered that last week when I talked yeah, about Peyton Lane Martin site. Yeah, I don't want to do right. that again. Yeah, no, nah, fair enough. And ease of heat treatment, cost effectiveness, etc. Um, ease of heat treatment, effectively 1075, 1084, uh, and cost effectiveness, yeah, same yeah. thing. You're going to get a couple of good knives out of that. Um, you, you, can't, you can't go wrong. 1080, anything in that 1075, 1085 range, it's just, you can't go wrong. Yeah, and we, we looked at some stuff that was online. Um, I'm pretty sure Mert saw the same thing that I did, where someone was talking about, you know, uh, a stainless steel, and their methods of doing the heat treatment meant that it was worse off than 1075 or 1084 in terms of the heat uh, hardness levels they were getting on it. So you might have a fancy steel if you don't do the right thing with it, it's scrap. Chuck it in the fucking bin. Yeah, it's a total waste of money. Just a total yeah. waste of money. Yeah, and, and it's. Um, you know, steel being the cheapest part of knife making normally, um, you just throw in that money in the bin. Yeah. Mm. All right. So, um, so that clears, I guess, that clears up part two of Ashley's questions. Um, what about? Uh, I think the next bit from memory, uh, you've got was um, our personal preferences. Oh yeah. Um, well, I, I look. To, I run classes here at my forge. Um, for those classes, we use 1075 and 1084 for some of the reasons that we just discussed. Um, easier to forge uh, for a beginner, especially it moves well under a hammer. You can you can get that steel to go where you would like it to go without too much problems. And that's just with a standard hammer and a bit of swinging. Um, I use 1075 for a lot of my knives. I really like the steel, and after you know six or seven years of working with it, I think I've got you know. A, a good process down to getting really good results out of it. My other favourite um, is W2, and I like that because it gives you that uh, opportunity to start looking into a bonds and whatnot. I just bought 
some 52-100 that Corrin had on his um, clearance, and it was because it was that sheared cut stuff. Um, and I forged, so I was like, well, I'll, I'll grab that and have a crack at that. And a little bit of that influence of old mate Mert here, because he does a lot of stuff with 52-100. Um, so I'm going to start cracking out a couple of chef knives out of that, see how I go. Hit Mert up for some heat treatment advice. Probably get the wrong fucking answer from him, so mine turn out like butter knives and shit, but, uh, you know, we'll deal with that. Oh, really? Well, Blame me. Blame me. Uh, blaming you in advance. Okay, let me just tell you in advance. Fuck you, Kev. <laughs> well, that's about the standard answer I receive from you for most things I ask. <laughs> the only thing you haven't said that for is the recipe for that delicious pizza that we had at your place. Well, it's not pizza, first of all. Well, hey, look, for a fucking Aussie, it's pizza. It was on dough and went in an oven. Who's that? Sorry, is that you, Mert? Hello? <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Mert's famous interruptions. <laughs> you got to say, like, when you crash the blade, hello? Hello? <laughs> that's it. That's the key <laughs> word. Hello? Um, yeah, so for me, like I said, 1075, 1084, um, and W2 are my favorite steels. Mert, what about you? Well, I use stainless and carbon steels. With the carbon steels, I'm using three steels. 52100, one of them. Um, it's a bitch to forge. Okay, It doesn't move, but I love, I love the heat edge they will take. It's quite, it gets quite sharp, and I love it. So it's not easy to forge on the, on the cone of that steel. The other one will be the, the Takepo stuff. Takepo uh, Vitoku and Hitachi Blue, they're pretty much identical steels. And they're more like a, they're similar to all one, bit more carbon and bit more of an edge in it, like the uh, tungsten in it. And every now and then I use, I use like a simple steels like W2 to get ham on. Other than that, I use stainless steels, and the two stainless I'm using are Dama steel or the Super Gold 2, which have, which are quite similar and actually quite similar heat treatment as well. Yeah, I've started actually using the. Um, v Toku stuff, and I really like that too. I should say, yeah, yeah, that's that's a cool steel. And a, a well, good I, thing I, about I, it, like it's it's a good product for what you pay. Yeah. It's a good product, so it's a hard to beat. Yeah, when you think about it, initially, when you go and have a look at things like v Toku and stuff, uh, and you see the price, you you sort of go, oh fucking hell, that's that's expensive. But you get like out of a bar of it, you get a, a few knives, unless you're doing something yeah. ridiculously big. And so, therefore, the, the price per blade um, is actually not too bad on it. Mm. So I um, I personally like the uh, the the Dharma steel because the small ones it's expensive and Dharma steel heat treats really well. It's really really nice to work, really nice to work, and um, uh, takes a great edge and it's a good steel. So I like that for my barrel knives. Shit's me making anything that you have to baby to keep it alive, so I'm starting with stainless as much as possible. Um, when people come over to my place and make knives, I, I always keep a bit of stuff for big people who want to make choppers. I got 52100 there for my, which is my personal favourite for um, uh, hunting knives and um, uh, any knife where you want a good wear-resistant edge. 
on a on a hard blade, so not a not a chopper. And um, I've got some just some 1084, and that's pretty much my knife making lineup. I'm not really interested in much else. I do have a piece of some RWL offcuts there that um, I might use one day, but typically I don't delve into anything else. You yeah. know, I, I don't make enough to worry warrant worrying about anything else. It's funny that when I when I reorganised my steel holder, so I said it went from Game of Thrones fucking throne, uh, Iron Throne looking to actually sort of organised. Um, I discovered all the bits of steel. I've already had 52-100 there, but <laughs> it was behind everything else. So I bought some from Gamico, but I already had some sitting there. Um, I've got a stack of 80 CRV2, which I really like the 80 CRV2. Similar thing you're just saying for the hunting knives especially. It's fucking brutal steel. It's it's a pig to forge. Um, I, I hate the fucking stuff to forge, but um, you get good results out of it. So I've got, yeah, in that Outside of the standard collection, I've got 52100. Um, I found same thing, RWL34. I bought a, there's a piece of the cobalt steel, I think it is, from Takafu. Um, ADCRV2, fucking big sheet of fucking 12C27. A CPM154. All these things, like you said, where from the past you get caught up and you go, fuck yeah, I'll buy that. And then you get it home and you go, fuck me, that, that's going to need a bit of work. I'll, I'll stick that there for later. So I've got a little uh, grouping of steel that it'll probably just sit there and get dusty because I don't want to fucking use it. Just remember, late, I, I actually, I've given up on um, marker for marking my steels. I actually stamp right near the end of the bar. Yeah. Make sure you mark your steels because, you know, the, the most expensive piece of crucible steel is fucking mystery steel before you know it. If you use a magic marker and um, you know the steel gets wet or rusts or whatever, it's just don't do it. Yeah. Um, well, and if you want, I mean, I'll just sell more steel, so it doesn't really matter actually. In that case, don't mark your steel. Just chuck it in the corner of your shed. No, use a white steel marker. You mentioned sheared steel before. I'm just going to have a quick chat about um, about sheared, the different ways to cut steel into strips. So steel's rolled. There's two ways that steel's rolled. Hot rolled, so it's taken as a, a hot billet of steel and rolled into um, a rolled into flat a flat strip or sheet. And um, there's cold rolls. Uh, there's pros and cons to both, but if they're properly heat treated post being rolled, it really shouldn't matter which one you've got. It doesn't matter how it was rolled particularly. Um, but what's important is um, the the way that it's been cut. From the sheet. So if you shear, if we sheared our, if we just got a huge guillotine and sheared steel into strip, it would cost cents per cut. But the big problem is you get these twists, bends, and buckles in the steel, and they're very very hard to get out. And actually, some of the stresses that are imparted along the edges of the steel stay there. So even if you roll the steel flat again, when you cut the mark enough, it starts to twist and bend again. So we just when you get steel and you look at it and it's all rusty and you're like, oh, I bought a new piece of steel, it's come all rusty. What that normally means is it's been water jet cut. And with water jet cutting, it's a process that uses an abrasive suspended in, a, in water fired at 10 billion PSI at the steel and it just blows straight through the steel. But it doesn't impart any stresses. There's no heat affected zone. And you're paying, actually, you're normally paying a premium to get rusty steel because uh, it can cost anywhere from 7 to 10, depending on the thickness of steel, so you know, average 7 to $10 a metre to cut that steel, but it's so much better than the alternative. There's also travelling bed bandsaws, but 
nobody's got one, so water jet it is. We don't use laser for the same reason. Heat affected zone, plasma heat affected zone. And that's okay if you're forging and it's okay if um, you're willing to accept that. But yeah, that's something to, to look for when you're looking at steel. Yeah, it's cut. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. If, it's, if it's sheared, like Kev said, if it's been sheared, it's got all those stresses in it, makes no fucking difference if you're forging. As soon as you chuck it in the forge, null and void. Corin, I think, I think if you remember, uh, maybe like a year ago or so, people were having issues with the, some of the stainless steel that it was shear cut because steel was trying to... 12C27. That was, yeah. that, was, that was when my first shipment of... That's where I learnt this valuable lesson. I got a, a whole shipment... Thousands and thousands of dollars of 12C27 shear cut and a fucking lot of it was pretty much scrap. It was a fucking disaster. So I learned a valuable lesson. Don't do that. Yep. So anyway, there you go. So is there anything else to Ashley's question or are we all done? Can we go home? No, that one's all done. Well, what did you guys uh, do this week? What did you do this week? <laughs> what did you do, Matt? Right, well... Last week was a bit eventful. After we did the recording, uh, there was an emergency declared in the state due to the wildfires. So there was a lot of bushfires, and we we had fires close to us. Like they got as close as a kilometer. You could see the smokes. So I ended up packing all of my all of my knives, all of my high value handle material, and chucked them all in the suitcase. And we were just on a standby, just waiting. So last Wednesday it was a bit tense. Like we were just up all all day and even at night time. And the shitty thing is, next day, so we realized it wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. And it was. And then I went to my post office, and a dickhead trying to break into the local post office. So they what? they yeah. yeah, they broke the door and the alarm rang and people gathered and they ran away. But our our local post office ran by an elderly couple, John and Margaret, great guys. And some dickhead decided to fucking break in the post office while everybody was dealing with the wildfires and bushfires and all that. Shout out to yeah. those fucking dickheads. Assholes. Yep. 100%. 100%. Yeah. That was my week. So, made some knives, made some, finished some hunter valley blades and trying to get ready for the Christmas orders. And that's about it. How about you guys? What were you up to? Yeah, I'm trying to get some stock sorted for the local show, for the Canberra show, which is on in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, first Sunday in December from 10 till 3, Cup of Cub Along, uh, just beyond Farwa. Um, so I'm working on that sort of stuff. Um, also got a few things I'm trying to do maintenance-wise, sort of in the shop and around the house. And, um, you know, my son's gone through his uh, half uh, end of year exams at school at the moment, so there's a little bit of tension uh, with him. So just trying to do a bit of the old workshop, family stuff, combos, uh, and it's going all right. Also had a, had a class on the weekend, father-son class, um, and those two guys really enjoyed themselves, and they actually knocked out some, some pretty nice knives. Very happy um, customers, which is always a good thing. So yesterday, um, my wife's got this week off, and we're actually going to look at maybe having a sneak trip away somewhere just to get out of the house. Worst timing given the show so close, but sometimes you just got to do that. 
And uh, yeah, get jiggy as Kara's doing a little get jiggy dance. <laughs> um, it Mert's giving me a disapproving look. <laughs> and he's, uh, yeah, he's just he's just jealous. He's just he's jealous. jealous. He's used it. to you. He's used to you sharing hotel rooms with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you're welcome here anytime, Matt. I'll, I'll fluff the pillow on the spare room. <laughs> Sing you a lullaby. <laughs> uh, no, so that's it. Just going to get away and maybe maybe get away and have a couple of days. The friggin' weather's starting to get warm down here. Canberra's been uh, up and down as it always is. Uh, spring is... Uh, like four seasons in a day sometimes, but we're actually yeah hitting hitting the high temperatures. I've loved it. Um, I've oh, loved wow. it recently. But he uh, every weekend seems to be cooler on a Saturday when we're forging, which is awesome. Yeah. And while Kevin, you're talking, Corn is showing us the remote of his AC that's set on 21 Celsius. That's like 72 in his comfy deluxe shed. Yeah, the mezzanine <laughs> level. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Well, how much was that? Two grand or something? Two and a half grand for the aircon? Fuck. Worth every minute, mate. Because I can use my shed in summer. What is that? It's anyway, my show, it's my show notes. It's a little drawing of me forging. It really we're is. Talking about forging steel. You'll have to put that on Instagram so people know why they were. <laughs> yeah, anyway, <laughs> what have you been up to, Karen? Ah, uh, fucking heaps, mate. Getting ready for Canberra show and knife camp, and uh, also trying to get my renovation finished here at, how, at the house. We've had a falling out with the builder, and I'm um, sorting out the um, uh, acid washing of the brickwork. Uh, I had to make some custom screws for a, a antique project for a friend of mine, and um, oh, and Adelaide show. The show that keeps on giving. I think I'm, I, I've now absolutely done my shirt on Adelaide show 2019. I think our expenses without wages, accommodation and food are now up to about $1,000. Just in alcohol breakages and fines. Fucking Ivan. Yeah. No, fucking Ivan. And fucking, fucking Corrin, actually. Actually, I, I won't lie. <laughs> Do you know that heavy well, vehicle that heavy vehicle checking station at Brulin? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't stop. Right. Driving the Oops. truck. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway, whatever. Fuck. Yeah, hey, you forget about that. You forget a, a truck laden with steel and other things oh, well, could be classified as a heavy vehicle. I wanted to I wanted to put in an excuse, you know. Oh, we'd been driving for 14 hours and we're a bit tired and didn't realise. <laughs> That's probably worse. In actual fact. In actual fact, me and Pat were just talking shit, and I said I should have gone in there, and he said, "Yeah, don't worry about it. They'll be right." I'm like, nah, they came in the mail this week, so. Fuck. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess uh, the the news on that front, anyway, is that uh, I, I did my presidential duties uh, and contacted Peter Ball, who, as we discussed previously been running the Adelaide show for 27 years. I think there was only one year that it didn't go ahead. Um, and Peter uh, offered to hand the show over to the KAA as custodians um, on a couple of provisos, one that we look for a bigger venue uh, so we can fit everyone in because uh, a lot of people missed out this year. 
and uh, Peter's going to be uh, a guest exhibitor at the show for us. That was one of the other things that he put in there he'd like. Um, so nothing out of the blue, really, for, for that. But, um, yeah, the Knife Art Association that runs um, Canberra, Sydney, and... Not Canberra, not Canberra. Oh, sorry, sorry, not Canberra, sorry. Wait, start I, yeah, no, we're not on, we don't do the Canberra show. Uh, the Knife Art Association has publicised the Canberra show, uh, but we do the Queensland show, which is coming up in April. Awesome, already registered. We do the Sydney show, which is in August, and it's awesome. Perth. And we do the Perth show, which is coming up in uh, February. Yeah, the Perth, symposium. which is going to be awesome. I can't make it, unfortunately. And the symposium. Um, and, now, and the symposium. And we're going to be looking after Adelaide show now, so we're looking to sort of go to one of the bigger venues, so we keep uh, at the same level that we've got all the other shows. And I think it's got the promise of something good to come on with that Adelaide show. It's it's a good feeling. What are we up to there? Twenty. It's and done. It's twenty seventh. Twenty seventh year is the the show at the Arkabar. Then yeah. we're going to move it on to show twenty eight at its new home. Um, yeah, it'd be good. So that's official. That that's happening. Um, what else? What else on the what else on the knife making front, fellas? Richard Morgan, who uh, he sent through a question, and I, I kind of smashed him a bit on it. Uh, but I'll let, let's have a look at Richard's um, question, and then I'll give you my answer, which is funny because then he explains a bit further. Um, well, he actually wrote, this isn't a helpful question, but interested in your answer. <laughs> Thank if you. you had to do... <laughs> Nothing. Move along. See you like Bam. Blocked. <laughs> Richard, who is probably going to be listening while he's doing uh, some hand sanding because he does that. Um, so this isn't a helpful question, but interested in your answers. If you had to choose between Takafu and Damasteel, which would you pick and why? Uh, the one you don't choose, you can never use again. So, do, do I have to pay for it, or do I get it for free? Yeah, well, that's it. Is it going to be Vtoku, where I can heat treat it a little bit easier in my kiln, because I still use my kiln, or is it going to be something that's going to require cryo? You know, there's a whole lot. Personally, okay, here's the thing. If I had to choose one of those steels and never use the other one again, I'd use Takafu because it's, it's the one I've used. There's the answer from me. I'd use Takafu. I might miss out, but I don't know because I've only used Damasteel um, once with some success and not so much success with Corrin. And we explained why that wasn't so successful last week. Operator error. <laughs> Merv, you've used both. What would, you know, at the risk of being banned from the Damasteel Chef Invitational, which one would you use if you had a choice and you could never use the other one again? <laughs> I'm getting this. I'm getting um, a look. The horse ram. <laughs> yeah, the horse ram. Oh, look, I have a. It's hard to pick, man. It's, it's they're both good steals. It's hard to pick. I've actually a question from Barry Kennedy, Baza. He asked a question that I think Corin can answer. Like, he should be a politician, eh? Fuck, he's just diverted. Sure, <laughs> keep going. Go. Oh, the next chapter. Hello, gentlemen. I just listened to your latest podcast. I love you a long time. Anyway, so forges and burners. There are so many different types and so many variables. I understand insulation, small surface area, coating, 
keeping the door closed, etc., etc. But every type of forge and burners has pros and cons. Once you start to draw a billet out, you struggle with even heat. What's the answer? Ribbon burners, multi-manifold burners, even induction forges. So, Corin, what do you think? Since you have more, since you're selling burners. Yeah, that's what I get it. Um, I, I. I I think you know that, that the even heat thing in a, in a forge is it's not something that I I struggle with, right? So it's personally I don't run into it because I make axes more life, so they make long billets, uh, not a huge problem. Um, and and typically you can get a forge to have pretty even temperature along its length, just using standard burners. However, ribbon burners are very popular. Um, I worked on one for a while, which I've handed over to another guy who's doing the prototyping on, and hopefully we'll have something that we can put into production. I've not heard anything from him uh, on how that's going, but I think I think there's not a lot wrong with a ribbon burner. Um, you know, they're good. I think that the fuel efficiency and economy savings are uh, wildly overrated. There might be some efficiency from having, um, yeah, from just having the uh, having the flame all the way along, but it's not massive, and um, uh, they certainly produce the same amount of heat, so therefore they have to burn the same amount of gas. <laughs> induction, uh, making an induction forge, again, out of my league, but making an induction forge that long billet you needed the whole way along would be something I haven't seen. Most induction forges I've seen only heat a small amount of billet at home, so you'd have to pass it backwards and forwards through the coil, and having to do that, you may as well do it in a gas forge. What's the difference? The only difference to me would be if I had an induction forge, I couldn't pay for electricity or gas because I've got the panels on the roof. So that would be the only difference to me. Yeah. I've seen a lot of those induction burners in the in the um, manufacturing process of the nuts and bolts. So like the heat just the outside and quench it right away or the, the whole thing submerges and it fills up with the liquid so it pretty much quenches right away. But yeah, and I think they're quite expensive. Although they might be nice, but you you buy a gas bottle for twenty five bucks, thirty bucks at most, and they will get you they will get you going for hours and hours and hours. Yeah, look, Barry, Barry's a bit different. I mean, if you don't, if people who don't know, this is Barry Kennedy. You said, didn't you, Mert? Yeah. So let's have a big shout out to Barry, all right? Because Barry is a top bloke. He's a quiet guy. Sits, in, you know, he's but he's just a top bloke. Um, and he's just uh, this year at Blade Show got his journeyman Smith. Um, you got a year before. Year before. Year uh, before well, yeah. Whatever. Anyway, it was the year before. I, I don't know. Blade Show's all a blur to me. I don't know why. <laughs> um, so uh, probably something <laughs> to do with the alcohol consumption. But anyway. But anyway, Barry Barry's a a, um, a journeyman Smith, and he does some pretty exceptional work. So um, his requirements are going to be different to the normal human being. So I think. Ribbon burners, um, they're definitely definitely something to consider. They're definitely on the table. I'd like to, uh, I've made ones that work really well through natural aspiration. I just have to make them so they can be put into production, basically. That's that's really, and, and survive because they get very hot. But anyway, that's the thing. Yeah. I think, I think, Colin, the reason that he's asking is he's been over, he's been in the US and worked in Bill's shop. Bill Burke has a ribbon burner. And when you make a lot of Damascus, when you make a lot of the pattern welded stuff, and you you're working with the long billets, I think then it comes a crucial to be able to heat the whole billet and 
So it's more like a pro question. Yeah. Yeah, and, and for that, you know, yeah, you need a pro forge. I don't think... It, I, I, I don't see much need for a ribbon burner in a normal person's forge. It's not necessary, but um, I certainly do see it for someone in making that high-end. When you're selling knives for $4,500 a pop with um, River of Fire Damascus, it's probably worth putting the extra effort into your forge to get the best results, like anything. Yeah. So um, to my, to my uh, like awesomeness, I, the fucking messenger failed, so I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Obviously, forges, but no, we're talking about you most of it. Yeah. Oh, cool. I was I was still talking, saying stories about you two because you'd both frozen in really funny positions on Messenger. I was having a bit of a laugh, and then it finally dropped out. Um, this Ali Bastion's just made a um, really awesome forge. Have you seen that on his Instagram? Yeah, he's got like fifty burners or something. It's like yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to yeah. you got to go back in his. Like when I say just made it, like a few weeks ago uh, or a month ago, go and have a look if you go. Ali Bastion, Bastion Knives, I think it is. Uh, go and check his stuff out. His forge is pretty cool. And have you seen uh, Bastanium? What? What's that? No, blank look. Oh, no. But I'm going to Instagram. Ali's right just done. Yeah, go and have a look. Ali's just. Um, shit, now I've got to fucking remember what they are. Zirconium and titanium Damascus? Is that it? Yes, I think so. Well, we should call it Bastardium because he's Bastard so fucking talented. <laughs> so, Bastanium is Zirconium and Titanium Damascus. And he's got a recent clip on there where he's drilling the shit. Uh, holy fuck. <laughs> you want to blow your workshop up? Start drilling Ali's Bastanium. <laughs> holy fuck. <laughs> That's awesome. That's like yeah. a disco. So go go and have a look at um, Bastion Knives, B A S T I A N Knives, and check out what Ali's just created. Uh, first of its kind, I believe. And there's a clip on there where he's drilling it, and all of a sudden <laughs> that shit just goes crazy. Starts sparking. <laughs> if you've ever just ground titanium and you know the sparks that come out of that, this is next level. So, like? Have you got a picture of his finished etch? Not yet. There's another one, like I think the next process on, he's got yeah, a, a folder with it. I can see yeah, it's all blue. polished, ready for etch. Yeah, so yeah. you can see a little bit of the stuff on there, but not quite. Can yeah. I just put it out there, Ali Bastion? You're a little fucking freak, and I love you, but you're a freak. <laughs> yeah. We were having a conversation uh, with some of those big-ass bowies that he was making to take over to Thailand. And, you know, same thing. It's just like, yeah, you're a fucker. Go back to your filing knives, you fucker. Oh, yeah. I just want to fucking bash him. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, no, he's fucking unreal what he does. So, he, runs yeah, so, his he runs his rolling yeah. mill in reverse and then fucking has a little return shoot so he can roll the whole billet um, without it. Um, yeah, he's... he's it, it, look, it looks so fucking dangerous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, anyway, good luck to him. Yeah. Anyway, there we go. Getting distracted. Yeah, and he's got that post. He's got his rolling. Yeah, he's got his rolling mill uh, where he puts it in. Sometimes gets out the top. Sometimes it's shooting in the background. That he's got his awesome forge running, which is his real. So that's Ali Bastion, the bastard of bastions, the bastion. making bastanium. Um, so yeah, we got distracted. What were we talking about? A <laughs> uh, question from Barry Kennedy on forges. Look. 
Yeah, Barry, in all sincerity, yeah, I, think, I think it'd be worth building a ribbon burner. At the moment, forced air is the way to go. For someone like yourself, it'd be worth doing for sure. Someone like Ali's got a different solution. Oh, it's worth checking too. that out. Uh, Ali has the same problems because Ali's making these um, forged Mockumase, Timascus, Bastanium, um, and he's he's got to try and get his uh, billet super evenly rolled as well. So he's got a similar problem. You can have a look at his solution as well. But um, Keith Flutter just runs three burners on a on a 500 mil long forge and gets a good result. So it's all horses for courses. What you what you want to do? I I personally. Personally, when I build a forge, I like to have a spot that's a little bit colder. I like to have a spot that's a bit hotter, and I like to. It all comes back to knowing your forge. That's my personal, personal take on it. But some people are anal about having exactly the same temperature all the way through. I have exactly the same temperature all down the right hand side, and a pretty close temperature down the left hand side, and in the middle there, I've got a hot spot, and then I just know where everything is in there. I'm pretty happy with that. But yeah, as I said, not for. I think we just lost Kev. I think. Yeah, no, I'm pulling. I'm pulling him back in as I talk. Just, just chill, man. Just chill. I've got this covered. All professional. All right. All right. Yeah, no, that's it. All right, mate. I think we should just talk shit about Kev. Oh, yeah, he's back. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. And then when we were at Blade Show, he ran down the hall with his undies off. Uh, or oh, his Kev. <laughs> oh, oh, Kev, there you are. I, guess oh. they, I was going to say, they weren't off. They were around my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kev, if you're making new material... Okay, let's say you're making, new, you're making a new material called this Crevonium. What will be in it? Well, Crevon and um, it's just frozen again, Mert. Maybe we should just... Uh, no, he's still in the call. Oh, well. This is fantastic. <sighs> oh, yeah. Hang up, bastard. I'll call him back in. I'll disconnect him. Well, anyway... Just bear with me. Phil, cut to an advertisement while we sort this out. Insert ad here. If your computer skills are grey and lacklustre, much like Mert Tansu's, then maybe you should opt for pewter grey Kydex and stick to making something that doesn't require a lot of technical aptitude. Pewter Grey Kydex on sale at Gamaco now. Use the code knife making ten or whatever it is. We'll tell you. Goodbye. <laughs> Keeps dropping out. Nice. Nah, anyway, um, I have no idea, Matt. You said something about if I was to do something. Anyway. Yeah, there's a bit of lag there as well. Done it again. It's all good. So how about? Oh, yeah, there you go. The other thing that happened this week, Knife Talk did their 100th episode. Yeah. Has anyone listened to it yet? Not yet. That's just gone up, hasn't it? Yeah, it went up uh, overnight, I think. I've got to wait for... Yeah. I saw Mr. Fader posted up on his uh, personal page, so that's pretty awesome. That's a good, good effort. 100 episodes, man. That's a... It's like two years. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. More than two years. I reckon I'm going to be sick of listening to you two turkeys after fucking like six months. You I even listen? I don't even out. listen to you. I don't even listen to you. I just block you oh. out, man. You're zoned out. You're fucking, look, gone. 
Huh? I'm looking at Instagram. What did you say? Sorry, did you hear something, Bert? Did you hear something, Bert? <laughs> what? Probably <laughs> not, because he doesn't have his fucking speakers working. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, fucking hell! So yeah, you, what do you got made for Canberra? How many are you going to have there, Kev? Uh, bugger all hunting knives, and I'll probably have, you know, ten, ten or so chef, chef knives, kitchen knives. I'm going to have a couple of the um, Takapu ones, which I'll have there. The v 20-layer Vitoku and the, what does what Oatly call it? Rainbow Steel. Uh, which yeah, is it's, the, a, it's a Yushoku. Yushoku. That's the Mokumeka. Yeah, Yushoku. Yeah, I've got a couple of those, which I'll have there as well. So a couple of nices and then just a couple of the budget range, mate, uh, for, for anyone that's interested. Are you coming down, Mert? Uh, I don't think I can. I wanted to do it, but my lovely wife keeps booking things. So, yeah, you guys can on that day. I'm going down. Out, I'm going down for knife camp, as I said before. So I'm looking forward to that, which is like a hands-on knife making workshop for the guild. The guild runs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm. I'm full. Fortunately, because I've had the injuries and delays and work and other things, I just can't put those couple of days aside. If I'm allowed, as I put on the post on Facebook, if I'm allowed by the powers that be, I would like to come over and do the carp fishing. Um, but you know, see what happens. You're well, president. Don't want to. Don't want to. No, no, that's the the knife art association, not the fucking guild, mate. I'm going um, down on the I'm going down on the Thursday to, to just to sit on the edge of that river and fish for carp and fucking let the troubles of the world go by, mate. So. Yeah, no. Actually, well, Gordon, I I had another question that I forgot to ask Kev, uh, since he's the one doing a lot of letter sheets. Uh, Brandon Kinsey asked, love the show and love you guys, and he's asking, I would love to hear everyone's opinion on Kydex versus leather, as I see a trend in Australia to shy away from anything non-leather. But when I'm camping or just out bush for a day or two, I will take Kydex hands down for tracking to our rugged bush. All my beautiful letters she stay, will stay home or safely tucked away. So do you guys see a trend for the leather instead of Kydex? If so, why? I know Kev, you do a lot of the leather sheets. Mate, we're yeah. comparing we're comparing two different we're comparing two completely different things. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's and it's, there's really is no comparison. If I've got a fishing knife that I want to put away with a bit of blood, guts, and scales on it, I don't want a leather Kydex. sheet. I want Kydex every Kydex. day of the week. A hunting yeah. knife that I'm going to put away that's covered in blood and guts while you know, I'm in a hurry to get packed up as the night falls, I'm not cleaning up properly, Kydex. Take that bastard home, put it in the sink in some hot, soapy water, comes up good as new. Leather, it's going to stink for the rest of its life. So, you know, leather is beautiful and it's great for a bush knife, but... They're two, two, two complete. Kydex is a working sheath. It's going to scratch your blade, or it can scratch your blade. Um, and 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 it's just, it's for a working knife. It's a working sheath. Yeah, I've moved. I've moved away from doing a lot of the fancy pants stuff on my sheaths. I just make sure they're like eight or nine, eight to nine ounce leather, so they're thick. They've got a good welt. They're stitched well. At the moment, I'm hand stitching them again. Um, they're clean and they sit the fucking knife in there nice and tight and snug. But they're, they're nice looking and they're really functional. But I've gone away from some of that fucking um, desire to do snake inlays and all the rest of it purely because 
if you're fucking going to use one of my knives, and I hope you do, rather than put it on a shelf, um, that sheet's going to get scratched and whacked up, chuck a bit of beeswax on it, and it'll be fucking good as new. No point in making a two or $300 sheet for a two or $300 knife, no. in my view, anyway. Like, you know, you just got to, just got to justify to the person that's buying it, you know, why all of a sudden it's gone from, say, you know, my average 380 up to 600 bucks. Oh, because I spent three days making a sheath and used fucking cobra skin. No one cares. You know. I see them Kydex, so Kydex has its practical stuff. Yeah, Kydex has its place. Yeah, look, there's some there's some good, some nice Kydex stuff with the hunting knives. And it looks, um, I'm that, more of that traditionalist person where I like leather. I like the work. I hate doing it sometimes, but I like the end result. So. Yeah. Yeah, we're, losing, we're losing a bit of sound like quality. Like, well, yeah, yeah, we're doing it all day. You know, do we have a Kydex press? Do you have you know access to a rivet punch? Do you have a oven suitable that you can use? It workspace suitable. Whole oh, thing, different lot of things. After I've sort of got my sheets done, I can sit on the couch and stitch them up, watch a bit of TV while I'm doing it. Hopefully, not stab myself in the hands too many times. Uh, yep. No, agreed, mate. So, what else, uh, what else we got to cover here, fellas? What else is? But if you do, if you do want to have a go at Kydex, we've got a bunch of um, light grey Kydex uh, on the web store, um, and you know, I'm, I'll just whatever price that's on at, we'll just put a down under ten discount code on that. If you want to have a go, that that stuff is cheaper than the black and the others, I believe. I'll just check with the guys, but. Um, we'll do a discount anyway, so down under 10 you can jump in, add it to your cart and you'll see what discount we, we organised for the grey kydex, because I've got lots of it, I've got a pallet of it left. Yeah. Well, we, we just hit the little bit over one hour mark, gentlemen. Do you have any notes for wrapping up? Uh, not really, not really. Enough to keep the punters happy, hopefully. Give us five star reviews, guys. It will make us more visible. And um, yeah. make Thank us you. feel yeah. special. Follow us, like us, subscribe. Jump on. We've got a few more people adding comments now through the Facebook page, uh, which is good. Uh, send through questions. We'll try and cover them. Like I said, Ashley Edwards gave us a doozy. Took one and a half shows to get through his questions, but uh, it was good fun. And we hope people have enjoyed listening to it. Um, you'll get our shitty opinions on a bunch of stuff for other questions, like Richard gave us. You shove that one up your rear end, mate. Um, keep them coming. All right, guys. Yeah, have a good one. Sorry we lost a bit of audio quality towards the end, but Kev's mic's dropping out a bit there, and hopefully it's still legible. So. Oh, it's Mert. It's Mert. Oh, yes, yeah. Mert's connection. I, I think have a actually, connection. I have the microphone no, this time. Let's be honest, Mert was the first one on. He was set up. He was ready to go 15 minutes before, and everything worked. Mert this time wasn't the problem. And he did a happy dance. Happy dance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh, boys. Was that, the, was that the President of the United States stepping in there with a bit of comment? <laughs> no, not this time. <laughs> not this time. Not very All right, good. boys. All right. Be safe, people, and we'll we'll catch up send next us, time. Send us some good questions. We need some good questions. See you guys. Bye. See ya. Right on, bye. Yeah.